Well, good evening, everybody, and we welcome you to tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floor Behind the Bench Show. I'm Chris Kerber. Glad to have you with us on a Wednesday night. We come your way every single Wednesday night with the program from 6 to 7 p.m., And if you miss any of the shows, it's podcasted right after the show is done on 101ESPN.com in the podcast section. And if you've missed any of the shows during this NHL pause, we've had everybody on from Red Berenson to Larry Plow. Larry Plow talking about the Chris Pronger trade. Red Berenson talking about his amazing career both as a player and as a coach. We've profiled everyone from Craig Berube to Steve Ott and Mike Van Ryan. We've talked about Al Arbor. We've had shows about Scotty Bowman. And all those shows are podcasted at 101ESPN.com in the podcast section. It is the Boardwalk Carbon Floors Behind the Bench show. If you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, we would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a locally family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit any one of our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Coming up on the show tonight, you're going to hear from Kim Davis. She is the Executive Vice President of Social Impact Growth Initiatives and Legislative Affairs. We get into her background a little bit more in the next segment. Kim met with the St. Louis Blues organization. We had planned on having her on the program in and of itself. We decided to share that interview with the entire Blues organization and her chat and discussion with the Blues on so many of the social issues going around our country and world today and how it impacts the sport of hockey, the St. Louis Blues, and our community. Well, that interview and discussion is coming your way over the course of the show tonight. Stay tuned for a very open, honest, and maybe much-needed discussion with Kim Davis. Now, before we get into that, though, a quick update on what's going on around the National Hockey League. We are still, of course, waiting for a finalized decision on where the hub cities will be. The latest updated news on that, that at least is being reported, and in this case I'm leaning on Bob McKenzie from TSN, is that it is looking like those hub cities are going to be both in Canada and Toronto and Edmonton seem to be the favorites. A lot of the reasoning for that is the spiking of COVID cases in the U.S. cities, specifically Las Vegas, and in the hotel industry, it's just something where the league, if they're going to do this, has to go into a place where they can best protect the players. Now, what is also holding things up is the fact that the return-to-play proposal is also tied into a potential CBA extension. And folks, they have to be done together to some degree. They cannot be mutually exclusive because even returning to play impacts the current CBA as it is. Now, why do the players have an interest in a potential ratifying of the CBA? Well, it's pretty simple. Right now, their pay and the player pay allotted for the players is on a 50-50 split of hockey-related revenue, 50% going to the players, 50% going to the teams. Well, when you lose $1.1 billion because of the pandemic, that 50% is far less than what you thought it was going to be. And the players had already been paid 90% of their salary. So the players move forward under the current CBA, per the agreement that they had agreed to, 
that would drastically impact their pay and would mean that they actually owe the owners a whole heck of a lot of money that's already been paid out. So it's in the player's interest to ratify the CBA. It's also in the owner's interest to ratify the CBA to make it as fair as they can on the players, but also do what they need to do through this pandemic and give them some level of certainty, at least what to plan for moving forward over the next few years because of the uncertainties of what has happened. Basically, and I am oversimplifying this in as many possible ways as I can, the current CBA negotiated between the, the National Hockey League and its Players Association has two years remaining, two full seasons, the 2021 and the 2122. By somehow figuring out what the salary cap will be, what the escrow levels would be, how they work, what the players would get paid over the next two seasons, plus maybe extending it over the four seasons, gives you the best opportunity to successfully come out of this pandemic and uncertainties as we move forward and secure some kind of long-term certainty for the business, which is also critically important. I'm telling you, folks, it's complicated, but there are incentives and very important ones on both the NHL league side and the player side to make sure that they come to an agreement. Those incentives are a lot more than just do we play this year. And this goes beyond all the safety issues that we've already talked plenty about over the last few weeks. All of those safety issues not only remain concerns, they could be growing concerns if COVID continues to spread at the rate that it is spreading right now. So having said that, they're two separate issues, but they are tied together. And both sides not only have an interest in getting the game back on the ice, they have an interest on coming up with a successful and healthy plan for not just the next two years, but the next four to five years to give themselves a chance to recoup as much as they possibly could from what they have lost from this pandemic and it is a complicated issue and one that is of course if you really look at it understandable from both sides of the fence all right so that's the latest update maybe later in the week you will have some kind of ratification vote if both sides can agree on it in that vote they'll not only vote on the ratification of the cba but it could also then vote on where the hub cities are be going to be don't forget the players have a say in that and then the league will be able to announce where the hub cities will be and start to move forward with planning on the opening of Phase 3, which is training camp, and Phase 4, which is the return to games as we move through the month of July. Stay tuned for more news on that front. All right, when we come back, as we take our first break on the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench show, we're going to bring you Kim Davis. Of course, Kim, as I've mentioned, is the Executive Vice President of Social Impact Growth Initiatives and Legislative Affairs. All the social issues that you're seeing around the country and around the world, sports aren't immune to it. Sports can actually play a leadership role in helping through it. And we talk about that and much, much more with Kim Davis when we come back. It's the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench show. Back in a moment on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. Glad to have you joining us for tonight's show. As we delve into some of the social issues that we're not only dealing with in our normal lives and around the country, but how individual sports are dealing with it. And as we mentioned in the last segment, in the next couple of segments, you're going to hear from Kim Davis. Kim Davis, now i got to give you a little bit of, uh, of history here and a little bit of just perspective of, of where we're at 
uh, and the role that Kim Davis has, and then why what some of the things she is about to say that are, are going to resonate, I think, with so many people. But Kim Davis, uh, a few years ago, two and a half years ago, was hired by the National Hockey League as the Executive Vice President of Social Impact, Growth Initiatives, and Legislative Affairs. Now, she comes in with having a tremendous amount of, of respect, leadership, and roles in both the corporate and philanthropic communities. She joined the National Hockey League from leading CEO advisory firm Tenio, And as a senior managing director, she built and ran the firm's corporate responsibility and inclusive leadership practice, advising CEOs and Fortune 500 companies daily. Now, she also enjoyed a 20-plus year career at J.P. Morgan Chase, where she most recently served as the managing director of Global CSR, president of the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation, and as a member of that firm's executive committee. Her responsibilities there included leading and managing approximately $300 million in annual giving, employee, and civic engagement and strategic corporate marketing sponsorship programs. Now, she's also been named to the Business Journal's 100 Most Influential Women and Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business. And folks, in 2012, she was profiled along with, at the time, First Lady Michelle Obama and Essence Magazine's 28 Most Influential Black Women in America. As you could imagine, with what is going on around the world right now and around the United States, the vision of Gary Bettman bringing her on two and a half years ago has proved to be extraordinarily important for the sport of hockey. She has been extremely busy over the last few months. She has been doing interview after interview after interview. She's been in meeting after meeting after meeting. Help lead the way for the sport of hockey. And frankly, just help lead the way in terms of continued discussion and education. Now, a lot of people might sit back and say, well, what are the St. Louis Blues doing? What are they done? Well, one of the things she did was she joined us and we were going to have her on uh, the radio program. But then we thought about it and said, this is something organizational. So we brought her in for a Zoom meeting, and she talked to the entire St. Louis Blues organization. And we recorded that, and so I could bring you the interview that I did with her for the Blues organization for you now. And again, the things that you are going to hear are going to resonate on a whole bunch of different fronts, but also keep perspective of how she's talking about it in terms of what leagues can do, sports teams can do, people that work for different organizations. And I'm pretty doggone sure that over the next little while, you're going to hear some things that are going to either excite you, they're going to open your eyes, they're going to open your mind. And at the same time, no matter what business you are in, you are going to be able to take some of what she told us from a St. Louis Blues perspective to your place of work, no matter what your role may be. And then a little later on in the program, too, you know, we did open it up for questions from employees. And I asked I asked one of those all important questions that, you know, a, a lot of people ask. And we'll get into some of those answers as well. So without further ado, let's bring in Kim Davis and bring you that chat that we had with Kim Davis. And we started off with, first of all, Kim, just frankly, can you wrap your head around and give us your perspective and just kind of a general overview of what you're seeing with things happening, not just in the world of sports, but society and our country right now? It's, it's, it's a convergence of a lot of things as, as far as I'm concerned. I think when we look at what the, the past couple of months have have been like uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic and all of us having to shelter in place uh, and the the anxiety uh, that has come along with that. 
Uh, and then as a result of that and sort of the world being stopped and uh, all of us bearing witness to the, the killing, the, the murder of, of George Floyd. Um, and while there have been many, um, many murders and killings over many years, there's something about everyone being sort of still and quiet uh, and, and seeing that eight, almost nine minute of, uh, of this man's life being taken literally in front of our eyes that I think was, was, awake, was an awakening for, um, for our consciousness uh, as, a, as a society. Um, and I think there were a lot of things that were precipitating what, what occurred. Um, I think the, the generational shifts that we have been talking about a lot over the past five to six years uh, demographic shifts in the country, uh, political issues. I think it was a, it was almost like a perfect storm, and I think we find ourselves here because of so many things that we probably haven't been paying enough attention to, uh, and now they're really right in front of us. Uh, when you you say paying attention to it, it's one thing to see it. It's one thing to put out statements and 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 show support for you know you know for causes and things how how do we how do we continue to advance not just the awareness of it but the actual actions of people through this movement yeah well i'll i'll give you my answer through through a bit of a, a an experience that gary and i gary bettman and i had last night uh we spent almost 2 hours on a zoom call with uh with the hockey diversity alliance which uh if, if many on the, on the call aren't aware, this is a group of, of black and brown players, players of color that have organized in the, in the wake of, of what's been happening in our society um, to step up and, and really bring voice to the issues of racism in our sport, not just at the professional NHL level, but uh, particularly at the youth and the minor league level and the experiences that they had. And so Gary and I uh, spent time with the group last night talking, and um, it, was, it was an emotionally charged two hours. Uh, and without going into details, I will tell you that in the words of the commissioner, he said that he came away from that experience that two hours more educated than he's ever been in his 26, almost 27 years with the league. And that if he didn't understand through personal stories before the pain that these, these players have experienced at the hands of racism, that he understands it in a completely different way. And that he, he has a new resolve to make a difference in our sport. So I think that, um, that, that gives you some texture around what happens when we are listeners and learners about the real experiences and the lived experiences that people have. Does it have to start with those sessions of listening first? Absolutely. I, 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 there, there's no way around it. Um, the, 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 the idea of, of um, anti-racist work uh, as, 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 as it is, is understanding that you don't have to be a racist to, uh, to be complicit, uh, each of us, in institutional racism exist in the world, and that to be anti-racist means that we have to 
be willing to unlearn some things that we've all learned in our lives. And that starts with being a good listener. What have you experienced and seen in the sport of hockey uh, from a diversity standpoint in the two and a half years you've been with the league? In terms of, well, let me just tell you about an experience that I had with my son in the sport of hockey before I joined, which I think informed some of the things that I had to unlearn about uh, what hockey uh, is and can be particularly at a youth level. My son is 28 years old now. He's, he's actually an anthropologist uh, in, in the UK. At the age of eight, he was going to a prestigious all-boys uh, school in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, and part of their curriculum was learning hockey. You didn't have to love it, but you had to learn it. Uh, and he was a, really a, a, quite a good athlete uh, before he took up hockey. Um, and played other sports and took up hockey and actually was very good. Um, And one of the first games that they had with an opposing team, um, a parent shouted the N-word right from the stands. Uh, And my husband and I were there and we couldn't believe it. We just couldn't believe that that was was happening. Uh, And and it was dealt with appropriately. um, But that turned my son off completely from wanting to play the sport. Um, and in fact, he went on to be in both uh, at the high school and college level, a, uh, an, an excellent both cross country and, and, and short runner um, uh, a- athlete. And, you know, hockey missed an opportunity for a very talented kid. So these, these stories are real. And I think we have to, um, at every level in our sport, root out racism uh and any kind of prejudice because it's it's going to prevent us from winning in the marketplace ultimately how does that get started from the grassroots level it's not an easy thing to just all of a sudden snap your finger and and expect change to happen yeah we've been spending a lot of time um uh and a lot of uh energy with uh, both hockey canada and usa hockey uh, over the past uh, 18 months, for sure. Uh, and as you know, uh, we're in large part responsible for uh, the policy that they put in place last November uh, about any kind of race, racist uh, taunts uh, and, and the kid being ejected from the game. But, but policies only work with education. Uh, and so education costs money. It takes time. Uh, and it takes more, more than that, accountability and commitment. Uh, and so I think we are at a, a moment of, of acceleration uh, where we as a league are going to have to, and, and Gary talked about this last night with the, uh, with the Alliance, put a lot more pressure on the entire hockey ecosystem to, uh, to be accountable for, uh, for the behavior that is not welcoming in our sport and not just talk about it, as you said earlier, Chris, but actually take action uh, against it. How can teams and organizations, uh, like everybody on this call, play a role in not just waiting for change to happen and hoping that change happens, but making sure that the discussion stay front and center and that that education starts from an organization like the St. Louis Blues out to our fans? Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time with clubs, with, uh, with, with 
presidents and CMOs and general managers and even players talking about this. Um, you know, we're putting a structure in place at the league level to, um, to bring in voices from different constituents. Uh, how do we market more effectively? Uh, the Executive Inclusion Council that's going to be launched in the next couple of weeks is going to be made up of uh, owners and presidents and general managers who have already been selected to represent the voice of, of the sport and to be accountable to the different stakeholders uh, around how we make our sport uh, more welcoming. But at the club level, it also starts with representation. You know, what do our demographics look like? How do we ensure that we at every level uh, from coaches and officials to front office, how do we uh, ensure that we have uh, an environment that um, uh, that recruits and develops and retains top talent across all uh, the various uh, intersections. And that is something that every club can hold themselves accountable to uh, and should and must. Uh, we have to, at the, at the league level and at the club level, reveal our demographics. We're the only sport that doesn't participate in the lap check report which is a report card on demographics in, in, in sports. We are going to do it next year. You can't know where you need to go if you don't know where you are. Uh, it's not a, a, a point of embarrassment. It's a point of, of, of assessing where we are and what we need to do. So these are all things that we have to do collaboratively uh, in order to improve our sport and improve the opportunities. Well, you're listening to our interview with Kim Davis. Kim is the Executive Vice President of Social Impact Growth Initiatives and Legislative Affairs for the National Hockey League. She was brought into the NHL two and a half years ago. We've got more to come. And where we start in the next segment deals with something that is extremely important. And a lot of parents out there know exactly what we're talking about. But the sport of hockey is not necessarily a cheap one to get involved with, just to get your kids started. It's one of the hurdles that she's trying to help overcome to expand not only the growth of hockey, but also the inclusiveness of the sport. But we'll talk about that with her next when we come back on the Boardwalk Hardware Floors Behind the Bench Show. It's right here on 101 ESPN. And again, we bring you back in tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardware Floors Behind the Bench Show. Listen, don't forget that if you miss any of the shows and during this pause, we've done everything from profiling former Blues coaches from Scotty Bowman and Al Arbor and Red Berenson. We had an entire one hour filled with Red Berenson. Actually, went even along with him. We, we had a long hour-long chat going through things with Larry Plow. He took us through the decision on trading Chris Pronger. If you've never heard that story, you can hear it right here on the Boardwalk Carbo Floors Behind the Bench show. And, of course, we've also interviewed Blues head coaches and profiled the assistant coaches as well. And if you miss any one of these programs, these shows are podcasted on, of course, our station website, 101ESPN.com. Go to the podcast section, and it's the Behind the Bench show, and you can pick any one of them, subscribe to all of them, and listen to some great, fantastic hockey talk. Now, if you're just joining us here tonight, again, a lot of the social issues that you're seeing around the country with protests and racial injustice, sports, as we all very well know, are not immune to that. 
And Kim Davis is our guest here on the program tonight. She's the Executive Vice President of Social Impact, Growth Initiatives, and Legislative Affairs. Again, we had planned to bring Kim on to do the entire hour with her just on the radio show. But then in talking with Blues President Chris Zimmerman, he also wanted the Blues organization to be a part of that. So we did the interview with Kim Davis, and then we opened it up for questions. And we're bringing that interview to you. I think it also shows some of the uh, proactiveness that the Blues have been taking along this front as well. So uh, we go back to that interview that we had with Kim Davis. And one of the areas where the National Hockey League finds itself in a challenging growth aspect is the inclusiveness of just getting people to play. And one of the reasons is it can be, if you talk about buying all the different equipment, you talk about buying sticks, skates, and then you've got to find ice. Ice, as they said during that great movie, Cool Runnings. That is not cheap. The economics of getting into this sport of hockey is a hard one. Now, the St. Louis Blues, for example, do something called the Little Blues Program, where they actually equip kids for free, and they start on a youth hockey program, and then they help try to steer them into a youth hockey organization in their neighborhood. And there have been some tremendous success stories that have come out of that, even in just the few short years that they have been doing the program. So the, the team is doing things. The league is doing things. But in the end, no matter how much a team does, and no matter how much the league does, it could still be difficult to get more involved in when you talk about the game just from a pure standpoint of getting people on skates and on a sheet of ice and on a regular basis. And as we also know, in a lot of cities, the number of rinks are extremely limited. Look at what has just happened in the St. Louis region when the rink in Chesterfield shut down and before the Centene Community Ice Center was built. It was hard just to even handle the demand of the kids that are already playing, much less find quality ice time at a time when kids to learn to play could get involved with the sport. So the economics from that standpoint of the sport also is one of the challenges that the National Hockey League is dealing with. And we talked with Kim Davis about that specifically, as well as, again, continuing other social issues that are not only we are dealing with from a community standpoint, a state standpoint, a national standpoint, a worldwide standpoint, but how we continue to work through them when it comes to the leadership role that the sport of hockey can play. And here's how we start with the economic aspect. It's interesting. Um, last evening, I uh, I was part of a, of a Zoom call and Joel Ward uh, from the Sharks was, was on it. Um, and it was with sponsors and, and corporate partners. And, um, and that issue came up. And Joel's response was that when he started in hockey, he started with ball and street hockey. And that that was absolutely the way that uh, kids were engaged. And that doesn't cost that much. And that he fell in love with the sport uh, as a result of ball and street hockey. And that that is going to be an on-ramp both to ice hockey, but also a way in which we're going to engage kids uh, both in urban and in rural areas that may not have access to ice. Yes, we understand that infrastructure is an issue and cost is an issue, but we also know that the history of our sport is not that of, of, of rich people, but uh, very middle class uh, people who love the sport and found ways to get their kids to engage. So we have to go back to that ethos. One of the challenges I, I think, Kim, is also breaking through people's defensive nature. And I'll give you a, a, a very personal example of this. You were in town probably about, oh, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. We, we held an event down 
in one of the new clubs uh, for uh, some different uh, civic leaders. And in, in listening to you talk to those leaders, you were talking about kind of the nature of, of, of hockey. You told that story about your son. And, and I, I was sitting there thinking about it, and I've thought a lot about this over that last year or so. Like, you, you, I found myself listening to the way you were describing the sport of hockey in the NHL. I found myself getting almost defensive for the sport because I, hadn't, I haven't seen what you described um, we know it exists. We, we know the, the horrificness of what happened to Wayne Simmons and, and things. And, and we know those stories, but it's not something that when you're in the locker room and, and you see the players interact, that you don't see that you're almost kind of in a bubble there. Um, and it took, it, it really took some thinking about what you were saying and listening to the community members to break through almost that initial reaction to be defensive and defend the sport against accusations that you hadn't seen. And I, I think that over some time, that, that is really one of the challenges that we have because the, the initial reaction from people, even when people hear the phrase Black Lives Matter and they immediately say all lives matter, they're not understanding what the message is. Is We're not saying not it's, – it's, it's more of an awareness issue than just a blanket statement. And I think somehow breaking down the defensive nature of people to be able to hear the message becomes the great challenge. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you 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 bearing witness to that and being honest about that because it, it's absolutely true. And and using the example of Black Lives Matter is a is a perfect example um, because when people hear that exactly as you said, they, they immediately say, Well, of course all lives matter. And 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 indeed of course all lives matter. But the reason that Black Lives Matter is an important point to make is because of systemic racism in our country. And again, as I said before, that doesn't mean that we as individuals are necessarily racist. It means that there are systems in place. There are systems like our educational system and our housing systems that are absolutely have been set up to, to disenfranchise groups. And again, Black Lives Matter just says, we are, we are giving a focus to the fact that this is something that we need to focus on, not at the expense of anything else, but alongside of because black lives have not mattered. And so that is something that, you know, I'm always willing to have the conversation about. Um, just like people say, I don't see color. And the whole notion of saying I don't see color to a person of color, a black woman like myself says, you don't see me because I want you to see color. I want you to be both color conscious and colorblind, but in order for you to be colorblind, you have to be first color conscious. You have to be conscious of the fact that I'm a black woman and that my experience as that living in that body may be different than yours. That's not a judgment, it's just a, a way in which we can organize ourselves. But to be colorblind means that I recognize that and yet I'm not judging you based on any, as my son, the anthropologist says, flashcards that I may have in my mind about what that means. And these flashcards are real. The, the things that, that, for the most part, society and the media has set up in our minds from very early about what certain groups represent. A black female might be, the flashcard might be the angry black woman or the, 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 the welfare mother. And we know that's not true intellectually, but that flashcard comes up in our mind. 
And so we all have to work against, uh, and, and that's again what anti-racist work is, working against those flashcard imageries and how we perceive people and really suspend judgment and start thinking about people just as that, the relationships that we establish and what we know about them. What opportunity sits in front of the National Hockey League right now to lead in this process? Huge opportunity. I, and and I, I truly wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. Uh, I, th I think the first thing is that we have to look at at these opportunities of engagement and engaging new audiences as a growth initiative and not a charitable one. This is about winning in the marketplace. The more that we can engage demographics that are growing in our country uh, and in the world, the, the, the more that's gonna mean in terms of our ability to grow our sport, to grow our business, to grow our sponsors. All of these issues that we've just spent the last 20 minutes talking about are front and center in our sponsors' mind, and they are talking about it, and they want to align with organizations that are like-minded in that regard. I've spent the past three weeks on the phone across the country with various sponsors and partners who want to know what we as a league are doing in this space because many of them, particularly in the consumer business, they have to make sure that they are front and center on these issues. So this, what we're talking about here is about our business. This is good for our business. This is good for our growth. This is not charitable. And that's the lens that we have to look at it through. And there's the opportunity for our sport. How important is patience through this process going to be? It's a journey, not an event. It's going to take time. It didn't, it didn't happen overnight and it's not going to be solved overnight, but we have to stay the course and we can't get exhausted. Anything else that you would like our organization uh, to hear and know uh, or, or just to be aware of, I, whether it be I, personal I, or business related? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, at the end of the day, I, I really ask you to interrogate in your own mind. You don't have to share it with anybody but yourself. Interrogate in your own mind the flashcards that you have, and we all have them that, that, uh, that sort of occupy that space and says – that you know, certain groups, certain individuals uh, represent something that may not be true. And you know, if each of us in our own space begins to tear down those things that stand in our way uh, in terms of meeting people in, in, at a neutral place of understanding, um, I think if every one of us just does our small part in that way, uh, we're gonna make this a better, a better place and it's obviously gonna be better for our business ultimately. Well, we've got a little more with Kim Davis coming up in our following segment, and, and stay tuned for it. I did ask the question to her, and I'll bring you the answer. I have a kid, a 13-year-old daughter that likes to listen to hip-hop. How do you explain to a child that some of the words that you hear in the music, specifically the N-word, is one that is not acceptable to use when they reply with the question, but it's in the song? And we've all been asked this. We've all dealt with this question. We've all asked the question. At some point in time, to a friend, a buddy, or something else, Kim has a terrific answer to that question. We'll bring that to you in our final segment here of the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. Stay tuned. It's right here on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. Well, one final time tonight, we welcome you back to the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. And again, a reminder, if you're tired of looking at stained carpet, scuffed vinyl, 
We would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a local, family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. A big thanks to Kim Davis for giving us uh, some time, both organizationally from the St. Louis Blues and then allowing us to bring you the interview that we did with her here on tonight's show. It really is a straightforward, open and honest discussion surrounding the social issues of inclusiveness, of racial justice, and how it relates to the sport of hockey, which has been a very much predominantly white sport. And I think it's not only an educational discussion with Kim, but it's an open one that will continue. Kim, of course, is the Executive Vice President of Social Impact Growth Initiatives and Legislative Affairs. And as I mentioned to you earlier in the program, she joined us on a big Zoom call for the St. Louis Blues. I interviewed her for the organization, and then some questions uh, were asked by the different parts of the St. Louis Blues organization. And Kim was gracious enough to allow us to take that interview and then bring it to you here on the program as we continue to help try to get and keep the conversation going. Now, one of the aspects And one of the things that you've got to ask from a league standpoint, if you're the National Hockey League, is how do you move forward in this area? It's okay to talk about. It's okay for everybody to put out statements, Uh, although statements only mean a certain amount. It's how do you follow it up? Well, Kim Davis was asked about uh, some different ways that the league is looking at increasing the overall diversity, awareness, and education that goes into this topic and this uh, much-needed approach to how the league does its business. And here's what she had to say to that. One of the things that I've heard consistently across the 31, almost 32 clubs, um, is the need to develop a pipeline of entry-level talent that we can consistently uh, bring in to the different clubs, uh, summer, even externships, even during the year. Uh, to, to build our ability to hire more diverse talent. So we've been in conversations with a couple of organizations. Um, the one that I think is the most interesting um, is SEO, Students for Educational Opportunity. Um, SEO started over 25 years ago um, as, as a way to identify um, top talent at both the undergraduate and the MBA level for investment banking. Uh, And it was a consortium model uh, across all of banking and each company, each investment bank would then uh, agree to take on X number of interns um, from their sophomore year and stay with them through graduation and hopefully hire them. Over the 25 years, SEO has expanded industry-wide to include legal, consulting, financial services, technology, and it has become the go-to for talent of color. So we've been in conversation with SEO about creating um, a, a vertical for, for sports broadly and, and, and with hockey actually leading that. Um, and I had a conversation last week with Javier Gutierrez, uh, the new president of the Coyotes. He actually graduated out of the SEO program. 
So he's very keen on, on SEO um, as, a, as a lever for us. So that's one, one model. There's another organization um, called Jopwell, um, uh, J-O-P-W-E-L-L, that um, uh, uses almost like a match.com uh, concept to, to match uh, diverse talent with specific job competencies and skills that companies identify. And they work across something like 120 companies now, from Goldman Sachs to McKinsey. Uh, and in fact, the MBA has used them. Um, and and have, bringing that as a resource for the entire league is something that I think could be useful. And along with not only finding those resources and working with those organizations, even internally, as Kim Davis says, the training is still critically important and the league is taking necessary steps in that front. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we can get away from the need for, uh, for, for training. You just can't, can't get away from it. And an hour is not enough. Uh, we, we, have to, we have to commit ourselves to this as part of our business. Uh, and I know Gary is committed to that at the, at the Executive Inclusion Council level where um, not only are we going to do a day and a half long training, but each uh, individual is going to be interviewed so that we can understand exactly where their starting point is in this journey. So I think that's we, we have to do it. And if, if, the, if we're serious about this, if we truly believe this is about growing our sport, then we will find the time to do it. You know, and finally from Kim Davis, and, and I save this for the last because I, I think it, her answer to this question was such a fantastic one that when she answered it and I had the recording, I went and I played the recording of this answer for my kids. I, of course, have three daughters, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old. My middle child really enjoys listening to hip-hop, but as a parent, it's also extremely important that you know what your kids are listening to and you're educating them along the process. So one of the obvious educational points here, but if you're listening to hip-hop and the N-word is used frequently in that genre of music, you still cannot repeat that word. We know this as adults. Well, you hope you know it as adults. But when you're bringing your kids up and you're teaching them the right way to do things, the right way to think, the right way to handle things, the right way to treat people, it's a fair question and a great question from those kids. They use the word in the song. Yes, but you still may not use it in our house. And I asked Kim, as a white person, when you have a child that likes and loves that genre of music... How do you have the discussion and what would be a way to have the discussion on why they're using the N-word in the music is different than you even repeating it when quoting the music? And I thought she gave a fantastic answer. And again, I took this answer and played it for my kids. And it's one of the reasons that I saved it to the very end to end the show with this. So take a listen to what Kim had to say on that specific question. It's uh, it's an interesting one uh, because it has such different generational con uh, uh, connotations and it's because of the context of the word generationally. So, you know, the, the, the hip hop movement and, and listen, my, my kids are, are 28 and 33. So they, they, are in a completely, they're millennials, right? But when we're talking about the Gen Zers and even younger, their their relationship to the the N-word, I'm talking about the black kids now, 
uh, is so different than, than my generation for sure. And how that word was used uh, in, in such a lethal way to demean and discredit. And so what, what happened when the hip hop movement started in the, in the eighties was that uh, black artists sort of took that word and said, it is ours and we're going to use it uh, so that we, we take the sting out of what that word means. Now, you know, people in my generation and even, even uh, the, the next generation down uh, don't agree with that and, and, and still feel the sting and pain of that word. Uh, it, it is not a word for, uh, for uh, others to use, frankly. <laughs> Just like in, I think, every ethnic group, there are words that you use within your ethnic category that you don't want people using against you. Uh, and that's just part of, 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 of the way we are organized uh, in ethnic tribes. So, you know, it's a complex thing. My answer always is, I don't care what is being said in the music, that is not a good word and we shouldn't be using it. And I, it, it doesn't matter whether or not, uh, you know, rap artists use it. It's, a, it's an ugly word. It's a demeaning word. It has a historical context of that. And we shouldn't be using it. Well, as you know, it just comes down to communication. It comes down to openness of mind. It comes down to the free-feeling ability to have the discussions at different levels. You cannot be afraid to have the discussion. You cannot be afraid to ask the question. You cannot be afraid to say, what can I do to help the next change that is necessary? You also have to be an amazing listener. You have to take down defensive walls and not only listen to the words, but listen to the message when you're having the discussions we're talking about. And tonight's show is an example of them. I hope that over the course of tonight's show, you experienced moments of defensiveness the way the game was being talked about. I hope you experienced moments of enlightenment when you thought, I didn't think of things maybe that way. I hope you experienced things you know, along the lines of, boy, there are ways that I can get involved and help in my own organization to help with this awareness. And that is the reason that we brought you the discussion tonight on tonight's edition of Behind the Bench. That wraps up tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench. Again, my thanks to Mike Ryder and helping with the production of tonight's show. I'm Chris Kerber. Have a great week, everybody. And hopefully we're inching closer to some St. Louis Blues hockey right here on 101 ESPN.